When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense in the last regular show of the year. Uh, talk about the offense in the Week 18 game against the Steelers. Jordan Coe uh, here to join me. Jordan, really appreciate having you on as always. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ken. Uh, you guys can check me out at Raven Sit Room. Um, we've got our podcast that is hosted on your site as well, so we'd love to share any listeners that, that might want to listen in. Highly recommend that pod. Uh, he and Gabe Ferguson do it, and they do a great job. And uh, you'll, you'll notice that Gabe and Jordan are two of the very regular guests on this show. Uh, I, there's only a few people that come on three or four times a year, but a combination of being truly outstanding, which both of them are, uh, and also making themselves available whenever needed is, is really uh, terrific. We really appreciate that. Um, another tough coast, close loss. Uh, you know, they always seem to be like this, I guess. To me, these have been agonizing losses because each one of them still had some playoff hope for the Ravens as they've gone along the line. The only one that really was out of reach the entire time was that Cincinnati game. Yeah, and man, they sure suckered me in on this one again. I, I started watching this game and I was like, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm just, I'm not going to let it happen. And sitting there, the Colts are getting their butts whipped, and it's just, and it's like, oh, this is actually going to happen, and like. The defense was playing so well and man, just the same like definition of insanity, right? Like why do we expect a different outcome when the last basically six weeks, it's just been the exact same team every single time. 
How how would we have felt being that lone Steelers fan? You're out in L.A. You could have gone to that game in theory to what for the, between the Chargers and uh, actually it was in Las Vegas, right? So, but that lone Steelers fan who got a great deal of TV time <laughs> watching the game on late on Sunday night, and that could have been the Ravens, you know, concerned about the tie and very happy that the Chargers, you know, called that timeout and and I think probably you could say made the made the Raiders a little angry. I don't think they were going to try and kick it, even with the fifteen yard run. I didn't think it made a lot of sense to kick that ball when they did, uh, you know, the little bit of additional seeding value that they got, I guess they, they, they probably had a, a, they have a slightly higher probability of playing the AFC championship at home. Right. Well, and they avoided Kansas city in the first round. And I think ultimately that was what they wanted to do. And I think ultimately they were going to try and win the game. I, it, it's fun to kind of talk through the conspiracy mm-hmm. of it. And, and there's, you know, Bill Barnwell has a really good article, I think on it that, that, that kind of goes through a lot of the detail of what happened in, in pretty good depth. But I think they were trying to win the game the whole time because they didn't want to play Kansas city in the first round because they were going to get housed. That's well, we'll see if that happens to the Steelers. We certainly hope it does, but it, it didn't happen. You know, it hasn't happened to everybody regularly. Number one seed and particularly when it's Baltimore or Tennessee has had a lot of trouble holding on to serve in these home games well, as, uh, as needed in the divisional games. I think that's the thing that made the end of the season so darn frustrating. One is that if Lamar plays, they win two of these games and the Ravens are just clearly in the playoffs without any consternation of these late games and any of that. They're, they're just, they're just in. I think they beat they Green, win the division. Probably. Yeah. I think they beat all, th- all three of green Bay. Uh, I still want to say St. Louis, green Bay, LA and, and Pittsburgh with Lamar, even, mm-hmm. even, maybe even playing as hurt as we, he looked when we saw in those practices because as good as Huntley was in the Green Bay game, really dropped off, you know, the last couple games and, yeah. and really just, you know, got exposed and teams knew what they were doing against him and, and that became what it was going to be. And so I think, to me, that's the, that's the most frustrating part is that that injury to Lamar being the, the reason why they, didn't, they, they don't advance more than any of the other injuries, all of which are really bad and really heavy and really terrible, <laughs> including the Bowser injury is like the icing on the cake of what was yeah, that's, 21 that's, saying F you. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. That Bowser injury is just, it, I, has there been word out today on what it is? Just I, some kind of Achilles. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, so you, okay. you hope it's uh, the Cam Akers kind where he can come back and, you know, Cam Akers came back from his Achilles injury in July and allegedly will mm-hmm. play for the Rams in the first round of the playoffs. Um, so, you know, you hope that kind of recovery is what he's on track for. It sounds like he'll miss time in 2022 to me. I mean, that's obviously he's got a bendy position. Uh, it depends a lot on that Achilles being right. And if the Ravens rush him back, that would be bad news. But uh, but we'll see how it works out. Um, it, it, we're going to talk about some coaching things here up front because I think 2022 is the primary angle we want to take from this show, not who happened to be playing on the field in this game because it's not that important in most of the cases. Okay, one one in particular I want to talk about extensively. Most of the players is not important. Um, what do you take from the fact that the Ravens' losing streak had been all close games down the stretch? It just says that you don't have impact players in spots to make impact plays. I mean, when you take Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, and Lamar Jackson off the field, you, you get what you get what you paid for, so to speak, right? Like those are the guys that in big moments are going to come up and make big plays, like. 
you know, I know this is the offensive podcast, but I rewatched the touchdown at the end of the game. And I still, for the life of me, cannot figure out what Seymour was doing on that play. He just, he literally just stops dead in his tracks and watches the guy run into the end zone. And it, and it was just like, if that's Marlon Humphrey, he's definitely making the tackle, probably making a play on the ball. It just, you know, mm-hmm. so these guys were, you know, when you take away playmakers that are going to make big plays for you in big moments, then you're, and that's when these NFL, what these NFL games come down to, then you're going to see close losses consistently happening week in and week out. In, in a lot of ways, that's the best answer, because if it's injuries, and as long as it's not, you know, a permanent injury to Ronnie Stanley, say, or that Tyus Bowser is going to miss all of 2022 or other things that you can come up with that are going to are potentially horrible, you know, outcomes from this, um, then, then they'll recover from this. And 2022, they should be in better shape. Um, it should be a fairly a uh, healthy team to start the year. Of course, every year, think, every team thinks they'll be healthy to start the year. The Ravens have some other players coming back, like Juwan James. Uh, you know, they, they'll, they never had Peters. They never had J.K. Dobbins, and they never had uh, Gus Edwards this year. So those are players that they'll be happy with. And, of course, having Lamar Jackson back is a big thing. But I, I, the other positive I take from it is that Harbaugh did not allow this team to unravel. And there are probably players who had a hand in that in the clubhouse. I think having Calais Campbell. Uh, there is probably a very positive thing having players like Bradley Bozeman on offense. Um, maybe Mark Andrews falls in that category, but but you know Bozeman and and Calais Campbell are two I would point to as as kind of holding the team together um, in terms of of effort. Yeah, you know, I I kind of I kind of waffle on that in in the sense that as we you know, we were talking about with the AFC playoff teams, nobody can like, it's also just like a bad crowd of teams, you know? And so nobody mm-hmm. is particularly great. So, you know, you don't have to do a whole lot to stay in the mix this year, which is what was so frustrating to me. I think um, that they couldn't kind of get over the hump, but um, yeah, I, uh, Harbaugh deserves a lot of credit. I mean, this team, this team right. went through a ton of adversity and, your head coach leads you through that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's a, it's a weird one to get credit for, but he deserves it. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't um, give up on the 2015 season, but they certainly had a ton of adversity as much, maybe more as they had this year. They had a more talented roster this year than they did in 2015. Uh, so this was, this was a, a tough one to get through. And I think the, 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 the things people search for blame, they search for a scapegoat at this point after a season and, and a six-game losing streak that's been this frustrating to them. And they, they want to blame Harbaugh because, hey, Harbaugh's that coach. Everybody goes to him. It's, it's always Harbaugh's fault. Um, or they blame the coordinators. They blame the play calling. I keep looking at the play calling for both of these guys, for Wink and Roman, and I can't really find the serious flaw. Now, we could talk about – you know, hey, they end up with receivers in the same spot on the field and that sort of thing. And, and that's all worthy of discussion. Are the, are the pass concepts, you know, layered in a way that they create opportunity as opposed to taking away from opportunity? I'm open to that discussion. What I think is is the starting point is that they were both incredibly hamstrung and they both adapted in extreme ways to what their circumstances were. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I mean, I would say wink more than Roman, um, you know, on defense, you, you, they're basically, you know, completely gutted from, well, not completely gutted, but like, you know, losing Peters from the start takes a huge piece away from kind of how you were preparing and what you were coming in on the season. And obviously on offense without running the ball, I mean, looking at this Pittsburgh game, if, 
Gus Edwards or J.K. Dobbins was playing in this game, the Ravens would have just run it 50 times <laughs> and they would have run all over them. Then they wouldn't have fallen over themselves like Lamar, Latavius Murray did twice in, in big opportunities where he probably had another 20 <laughs> yards in him and he just tripped over himself twice. So, um, yeah, yeah, beat on the guy who ran for 150 yards and, and had the slowest touchdown ran, run in the history of man. <laughs> so, like, I, I mean, I, this is one of these things that AWS is, is, is cool in terms of what it gives you, but we're never going to hear the really cool stats. Like, what was Latavius Murray's top speed on that touchdown run? Because I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 15 and a half miles an hour or something. It, it's just really slow. So, you know, imagine putting. Dobbins or Gus Edwards into that. And, you know, you don't even have to worry about some of the concepts. So you're, you're right in that regard as kind of for, for Greg Roman. I still, I, you know, I, I, I have problems with his kind of like, I think we talked about it on this last podcast or the last time we talked about this. My problem is on the, the tail ends of the curve where in those moments where in the 3% where he has to make the right calls in the roads, right situations, he can't do that. And I think he's proven and we've seen consistently that good teams that are prepared for it fail against or he fails against pretty consistently. We see that in the playoffs. We see that in these big two point conversion moments. We see that in the Ravens complete and utter failure and ability to be a good two point conversion team, which they should be. They should be well above league average at that, especially when Lamar they is should in the be. game. And for whatever reason, they can't you, be. Sample size, very small. So, so, you know, as a mathematician, I just, that's the first thing I hit on right there is sample size. And if you make your decisions based on small samples, fortunately, the Ravens aren't that stupid. But they, but they, they know that this team is better in two-point circumstances than the actual results this year, which is like, what, three out of ten or something in two-point conversion. It, was, it, was, it wasn't good. Well, quite frankly, they throw it too much on two-point conversions this year. I mean, if you, yeah. look at the, if you look at the statistics, the NFL teams are much more successful when they run on two-point conversions than when they pass. Mm-hmm. And yet, 60-something percent of two-point conversion attempts are passes. How that makes any sense to me is, you know, it just goes to show you the tendencies of the league. But that being said, I think Roman did overcome some adversity. You just have this weird mix already of kind of Greg Roman having this history of not really making it past four years with other teams of kind of not wearing out his welcome, but like seeing his scheme kind of like reach his capacity and not be able to get to the next level. So you have all the baggage that comes with that. Um, and then, uh, you know, you have all the baggage that comes with Lamar being, quite frankly, a black quarterback that takes criticisms in ways that other quarterbacks don't. Josh Allen runs just as much as Lamar and is more risky with his body and his arm and mm-hmm. his shoulder than Lamar is. And yet nobody talks about that with Josh Allen. And he has also led Buffalo in rushing. So it's not like Lamar is the only quarterback that is rushing um, to lead his team as well. And nobody talks about it with Josh Allen. So you get those extra criticisms and those extra baggage from Roman all layered onto what is a terrible injury season overall. Um, and it does right. make it really hard to evaluate. It, it's it, the, to me, the hardest thing is who the Ravens really had on the offensive line at tackle in particular and at running back. And that basically eliminated the outside threats that they had. Um, it, it forced them to be primarily a power running and just off tackle team, but not a stretch team, not a you know wide zone good team in that respect. They they had to you know really limit their their set of offensive concepts, 
And in so doing, you know, the other thing you're, you're getting out inside linebackers is not the same number of read steps coming downhill to try and go after that run running back. You know, they're, they're not they're assuming it's not going to be the running back until they see otherwise. And they were right this year. I mean, it was it was a case of the Ravens had nothing there. And, and you know, it's not like Freeman was terrible, but Freeman wasn't good for the circumstances he was put in. Uh, and, and Murray was terrible until this final game. Absolutely terrible. Um, and, and I, you know, I'd love to see how his rush yards over expectation are after this final game, because uh, it, I, I'm sure it improves significantly with a game like this. But uh, I, I would guess it's still he was about, I want to say, three quarters of a yard below per carry. So he couldn't have caught up all that in one game, but he, but he could have caught up a significant portion of it. So uh, maybe he ended up only half that bad for the year after this after this last game. Anyway, I, I don't think either of them are going. I don't think there's interest in either coordinator in another location. If it happens, it'll be a surprise to me. And I think there's really no interest in the Ravens getting rid of him. In Roman's case, you know, a guy who's led the top scoring offense of the last two seasons prior to this mess, uh, still got something out of this offense, still was able to run all over the Pittsburgh Steelers in a game that mattered in the end of the year. It's just, I, I don't see why you would get rid of the guy at this point. Yeah. I, I, well, I go back to what I said. I think that big moments, big situations, his inability to call the right plays are why I would, why I would go away from him. And so whether that was taking away some of that responsibility, I also think this team is wildly underprepared in those moments. Like there, there are, we, we see guys that are like flinching on the offensive line. We see play calls coming in really late in third and short situations you know, all of all of the praise that gets heaped on Bill Belichick because they talk about how do they approach practice, right? They come into practice and they say, we're going to practice these situations. And when this comes up in the game, we're ready for it. Everybody's on the same page and we tightly execute whatever that package is. The Ravens almost seem to never do that, <laughs> except when, except in the situations where it's like a pure quarterback, like like run of some kind where it's just like everybody go block and let Lamar do his thing. When it's not those situations, it always feels disjointed. It always feels slow. They're always laid out of the huddle. Like all those things add up to me. And when I look back at it, it's like, yeah, they led the league in points, but what could they have been if it was more than that? And what happened in those games when you got there? Well, I mean, in 2019, they were a historic offense. And it's not like the, the players around Lamar Jackson were so great that they were, they were the reason. Andrews was good. Stanley was good. Yonda was good. And everybody else was okay, and then they, they and, and they had Lamar Jackson. Well, and Orlando, Orlando and, Brown and he, was a much better fit at tack. I, I mean, I think that on the offensive line, fit. they were a much better fit for what we see from the offensive line right now. I mean, it's just night and day. Uh, of course, and no, nobody's disagreeing with that. That particularly at the tackle situation was unbelievably better in in 20, 2019 than it was in twenty twenty one. So, uh, but they also you know, scored three point oh eight points per drive. You, you, I, it's a, just it's was the fifth highest total of all time, I believe. So let me flip the question around. Do you think sure. that the only reason they did that was because of Greg Roman, or do you think that with that same personnel and with Lamar taking the league by storm? any average offensive coordinator in the NFL could have likely led them to the same result. I no, I do not believe that that would have happened with other offensive coordinators. And there, and I'll, t- I'll give you the reasons why, because there's multiple. The, the first is that we've seen coordinators with very talented offenses screw it up 
multiple times. There's been you know changing coordinator occur, you have before and after with coordinator occur with the same personnel is a lot better under under different circumstances. Um, but that's not all it. The Ravens legendary efficiency in 2019 was a matter of doing it in fewer drives. And part of that was their willingness to go for it on fourth down, their preparedness to go for it on fourth down, which, by the way, when you get back to the preparedness argument, I think it's really about the players on the field. Because when you have Huntley on the field, what are you expecting in terms of the guy really being prepared to run the offense? He can't run the offense the way Lamar does to start with. So how do you, how do you expect it? I mean, his, his QB power approach is nowhere near as threatening as Lamar's QB power approach. And that's, and that's the most basic play they run. If you're talking about anything with his RPO, I mean, his reads are nowhere near what Lamar's reads are. We knew that. Lamar's the greatest reader of leverage almost in the history of the entire NFL. He's he's up there with the greatest athletes of all time, let alone, you know, the greatest football players of all time. I mean, and we're expecting players who are similar in Johnson and Huntley in terms of where their strengths lie relative to their weaknesses to run this same offense. It it doesn't work. It's just, it's, you know, Lamar, you know, in addition, had a lousy year of adapting to some things that happened at midseason. I think we can both agree on that, 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 uh, you know, that wasn't good. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a little underselling a bit of Lamar's transcendental talent overall uh, of of what he brings mm-hmm. to to any team, right? And like you, you know, a good example I think is looking back at RG three and Kyle Shanahan and what they were able to do paired up in their system when he was healthy. Now, obviously. Mm-hmm their decision to play him towards the end of that playoff game in that weather was, I, I still can't fathom how they let that happen, but that I'm so glad the Ravens didn't let Lamar play this week. Even if he was, even if he was 85%, I think like, right. it's just not, it's just not worth it. Um, and you see that from the RG three example, but same, same story where you see a guy when he is that athletically talented is just able to take a solid scheme. Like you just take it any Gary Kubiak disciple and you put Lamar into that system. And that, that team is going to score 500 points because like you put him on the boot action on the backside of any offense with a decent running game. Mm-hmm. And that team is going to score 450 points. Like, like it, it just is, I think. I, I, I think, you know, you're, you're talking about how much you're going to squeeze out of the margin. Margin, And first of all, the Kubiak and Roman are going to be very different in the way they achieve 450 points. And Roman is going to do it more efficiently. And the reason is because Roman's going to have fewer drives. Just the nature of his offense being run heavy is going to, is going to shorten every football game. And for him to score 450 points, he's going to be a lot more points per drive. You know, maybe a quarter of a point, maybe more than that in terms of points per drive more. I, I just, you know, to understate the efficiency of that unit, which is very close to some of the, you know, the greatest Packers team of all time, the 2007 Patriots, you know, the other teams in there, the Saints of of the Breeze era and their best single season, the best single season out of the Chiefs offense. One of those wasn't even as good, but the, but the, but the, but the other four, you know, the other teams had four, uh, uh, the four that were ahead of Lamar at that, you know, with more than 3.08. I can't give all that credit to Lamar as much as I would like to. You know, I believe Lamar is exactly as you're saying is a transcendental, a talent that is utterly spectacular in terms of his ability to read leverage in particular. Um, and, and he had a great passing year in 2019 that, you know, that hasn't been true all three of these years, but he was, he was certainly great that year and, and, and took very few chances with the football. They were unbelievably good in the red zone about not turning the ball over. Um, it was just, it was a, it was a set of fantastic circumstances and a lot of it was they were healthy. And, uh, and, you know, we, we, we look at that 20 was a, was a, a different story, 
Marshall Yanda was gone. You know, I, I, I do think it's good. that uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I, all I was going to say is I also think that the three tight end system that Greg Roman was running that mm-hmm. offensive through is not mm-hmm. the same offensive personnel that the Ravens have now. And even if the line was the same, I think it was different. And it's not going to be the same next year. They're not, they're not going to have, I mean, it's, it remains to be seen whether Nick Boyle will go back to being Nick Boyle ever again, which is a travesty. Um, but there's no Aiden Hurst and, and um, travesty, tra- tragedy. That's not a word. Um, <laughs> um, and there's no Hayden Hurst. And, and Hurst wasn't great. But he was certainly better than what we get out of Josh Oliver. And he added a layer. Let them stay in that three tight end personnel and really, really utilize that in a way that we haven't seen since 2019, too. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. Tomlinson has been a a find as a blocking tight end, which has been terrific. He's he's, He's actually provided a lot of what Nick Boyle could in terms of a pass blocker and a run blocker. He's not a receiver at all. Um, you know, they just, they never, they never go to him. I mean, would he caught one patch or some, one pass or something this year, maybe two, um, you know, Ricard is a special talent, but Ricard was healthy all of 2019 and he's unhealthy for a portion of 2021. And we were fortunate he played as much as he did given the, you know, circumstances where he entered camp as a, as a big unknown, you know, as a possibly losing his job to Ben Mason. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> we, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about some scheme results from this game, because I think people are going to have their opinions on Wink and Roman. And something tells me you and I talking about it is not going to change their mind. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of people out there who just have decided, you know, it's these guys are going to stay or these guys are going to go or, you know, I think Wink, guys I think Wink does have a shot at getting the Giants job because he was considered to be towards the finalists in the last go around. So there's a potential that he mm-hmm. goes and maybe he takes Greg Roman with him. <laughs> once once you are passed over once you don't usually get hired by the same team you got interviewed by for before so we'll see but he might he might have a chance with another team I, I don't think that the Ravens um past defense numbers this year their turnover takeaway numbers are going to be things that Wink is going to have a really easy time explaining in an interview I could try and explain it for him, and it might sound better than how he would explain it himself. Literally, I mean, I, I, you know, in terms of, of of what went wrong in terms of playmaking, but the Ravens had such a playmaking deficit on defense. Uh, you know, they were forced into situations where they had bad personnel. And amazing, imagine Wink going into an interview and having to explain that as the reason. It's going to sound like shit. It's going to sound terrible if he, if he saw that. So, anyway, he's got to not blame his players too much. But I, his adaptation in terms of uh, his ability to uh, you know change circumstances dramatically by opposing offense and by opposing quarterback is something that I'll really appreciate about what he's done his entire time in Baltimore. He's bought much more extreme defenses than were ever here previously. The race car package never played four outside linebackers on the field before at one time for the Baltimore Ravens, a 25 year history. He, you know, he brought that in and he, and he played it a lot. You know, the, all the other things of playing extreme dime when he had it, playing some quarter again, which they hadn't done in years. Um, this is th- these are steps that not every defensive coordinator would would know to take. Yeah, no, I wink. I have. You're right in that people aren't going to change their minds about this. If wink is back, I've got <laughs> no problems with that. I, I really I have no interest in seeing Greg Roman back as offensive coordinator personally. And as you as you point out, there's nothing that you could say that's going to change my mind about that. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Well, we're going to differ on that one and then we'll we'll agree on wink. Um, let's talk a little bit of scheme results from this game, because I do want to kind of kind of talk about it a little bit. No Ricard, no Boyle in this game. The Ravens played much lighter in terms of their 
uh, heavies. That's the tight ends, fullbacks, and six offensive linemen. They did get 58 snaps from Andrews. You expect that. Here's the big one. 37 snaps from Tomlinson and 19 from Oliver. So they still got up to 1.73 per play, which is a lot. Um, not as high as their season high, which was 1.96. But they were down at 1.22 without Ricard a few weeks ago. So this is a you know more of a return to power football. The weather probably had something to do with it. The fact that they were having success running the football, no doubt, had something to do with it. Um, and and I thought you know Roman adjusting to those circumstances is a is a again a positive for him. Yeah, and you've got to keep an extra. You've got to keep tight ends on both sides when. T.J. Watt is going to be on one of those two sides, and Patrick McCarry and Andrew Villanueva are your two tackles. Like, you just, yes, you just yes. don't have a choice. <laughs> to, to, to me, that's 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 what you start with. McCarry really did play pretty well in this game in terms of of fighting, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, no running back on three plays. They've they've been doing a fair amount of that in the last few weeks. That's a good adjustment again by Roman to to just say, hey, these guys are not helping us. There's no point in having them in the backfield. We can have a tight end on a chip if that's what we want. Um, Latavius Murray's not a bad chipper, but again, if you're only having him on a chip, he's not, he's not providing a credible receiving threat. Well, so it's, it's and just there have a, probably been like 15 or 20 snaps this year where the Ravens have had Murray. They've been in shotgun with like four wide or some equivalent and Murray's been in the backfield and then they motion him all the way out up. to the end and not even to chip. Like if they even moved him up yeah. and they stayed in line. I would be fine with it. Right. But they motion yeah. him and he's, he just, it, I'm glad that they. I'm glad they finally stopped that and just said, "Well, maybe James, like a James Prochet type guy, is a lot more valuable than the fake motion that nobody is following to Latavius Murray." I don't know. Yeah, they did. They did a um, game we went together to in Oakland. Uh, sorry, in Oakland, Las Vegas for the Raiders game in Week One. Um, they, it, towards the end of that game, they weren't getting Max Crosby back. And one of the things I really liked was that was that uh, Lamar moved Latavius Murray up on the right side and said, "You, know, you block him. I don't need you in the backfield." And, and I really loved that in terms of field general move. Didn't work, you know, work out obviously in that game in terms of the win. But I thought it was good in terms of of making use of what Murray, uh, you know, could do a little bit to help the Ravens there. So. All right, let's get through some of the rest of this stuff. The Ravens were down to 2.31 wide receivers per play in this game. Obviously, that involves the running backs, too. When you take that out, you know what the what the complement to that is, totaling five. Um, but they were at 2.76 two weeks ago. So, <coughs> excuse me, um, still less than the Steelers at 2.51. Now, the Steelers played much heavier in this game than they have in past games against the Ravens. Last year, in the game at home, uh, which was a COVID game with some people there. We, we actually got tickets for that one. Um, they, used to, they used a lot of 0-1 personnel in that game, one tight end and four wide receivers to spread the Ravens' defense out When you know back when the Ravens had uh, three good cornerbacks they can put on the field at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, I think some of that is injury stuff like uh, like Deontay Johnson mm-hmm. wasn't completely 100 percent. Obviously, no, they no Juju Smith Schuster. You know, they've just they're down on like Ray Ray McLeod getting a lot of wide receiver snaps for the Steelers, I think, mm-hmm. was was part of their response. I, I also wonder if and we never heard this and there were there's never any chatter, but whether Hollywood Brown for the Ravens was just not healthy down the stretch. And I know he got sick before, I think, week 15 or week 16 um, and had like an illness every the whole Ravens team at some point was just like Bozeman, like just randomly getting sick. But anyway, <laughs> um, I don't okay, think I, that I, he was healthy. Go ahead. My, my personal opinion is that, that he was destroyed 
by the scheme down the stretch. And I'm not saying that it's the play calling. I'm saying it's the talent on offense forced the scheme from Roman that kept him in and not on deep passes. And Brown doesn't even like to take to run these short routes. I mean, you can see, you can tell by the way he goes down. He wants to get behind that secondary whenever he can. And he's very good at it. He, he, he does a lot of things to move. Now, part of that is he needs to have a secondary route that's underneath it that he, that he can threaten. So that's that has to be part of the deal, but it's it's not really his favorite route to run. So you know it's it's uh, down the stretch. The last eight games, four point three, four point three yards per target. And didn't he oh, have God. a game where he had like ten or eleven catches in like for like forty yards or something? Um, he had fourteen targets for forty three yards in one game. I, uh, they've all been like real similar. They've all been you know between three and five yards per target all this entire time. So it's not like there's been a lot of variation. Uh, it's, just, it's terrible. It's just yeah. So I uh, so I think he just you know he wore down. I that, just nagging things. And for a smaller guy, I mean, it, it, you know, and, and Watkins was the Ravens were kind of banged up at receiver to some degree down the stretch, but to another degree, not at all in the sense that Wallace and Prochet barely would ever see the field together. I don't know what, whatever Tyson Williams and James Brochet have done to the Ravens yes. coaching staff, they need to apologize for <laughs> over the off season, get figured out and get them onto the field. Cause they're guys that you have a guy that can run the ball and break tackles. And you have a guy that can catch the ball in almost any circumstance. And for whatever reason, they can't find their way onto the field. And so that needs to be, if that's learning the playbook, if that's, I don't know what it, I, it, it still boggles my mind that you can't have, a 15 play set of package for both of those guys that you use all 15 of those plays that they're all in the playbook and they're all high priority to be used at some point during the game. Once they're burned up, fine, stop using them. But this idea that we can't use them at all because they can't do everything makes no sense to me when you can use them early on in the things that you want to use them for and then take them away. And, and again, yeah. this goes into the things that I don't like about Greg Roman's approach. It's like, if, if you have to know everything to be successful because he has so many different running structures and so many different blocking assignments and so many different things that he wants to call, at some point you're, you're out thinking yourself and being overcomplicated by that and you're wearing down your wide receivers, you're not using your best players, et cetera, et cetera. You got four guys who are competing for roster time towards the end of the season. So you had Prochet. Uh, who you know showed a lot of good slant ability, and and the problem with Prochet not being active is he's good at the routes the Ravens were forced into running by their crap personnel. You know when they have to run these short routes and a, a lot of slants, a lot of underneath, a lot of crossers. Prochet isn't really a fearful receiver. He's good at those routes. doesn't doesn't mind taking a little bit of a hit after con, after the catch. Um, so so you know he was he was one guy. Wallace was the second. Now, I really like the fact that they've gotten Wallace a few targets in addition to his special teams play. He looks like he'll be a contributor next year, and I, I, I appreciate that. So I'm not really upset about it. Miles Boykin is an interesting thing because I think they've already figured out from a salary cap reason, um, perspective now that they can't keep him next year. He, they save about $2 million by cutting him. And, you know, he, he would go into, the, into camp on the bubble anyway. The, the slight probability of being able to trade him is really not worth, I don't think, um, you know, having a protracted battle. Maybe they just want the competition. Maybe, they, you know, seven to make five is what they want in, in terms of wide receivers in camp. And having Boykin there makes sense from that perspective. But if they're not really going to take a chance on this guy being on the roster and appears they will not, appears they will cut him, then I, then I think that, that you can – 
you can certainly make a case he's third on the list. But the guy who's definitely fourth is Watkins. Like Watkins wasn't right down the stretch. He wasn't producing at all in terms of, of, of his catches, but he also wasn't playing. And he's not a special teams player, so you can't use that argument on me. And he's not a blocker, so you can't use that argument on me. So, you know, come up with a reasonable reason why Watkins was active these last uh, three weeks of the season when you can count his, you know, total number of snaps on less than 50 fingers. Um, you know, it's, I, I don't get it. For the one position group that was the healthiest of all the position groups, no less, right? Yeah. Like all, every other position group was just hammered by injuries all season long, but the wide receiver group, for the most part, stayed mostly intact. And that's even with Boykin being down for most of the year. So why, well, and I, who knows if he was actually hurt or whether or not it was just like where, where kind of the status was of any of that. But either way, yeah. I, I, the, the usage and Gabe, my co-host on the situation room talks about this a lot. He's, he finds that at least if the Ravens are going to continue to construct the roster on being heavy in terms of wide receiver, there's not, he thinks there's not room for Pat Ricard on this team next year. That, not only from a salary cap perspective, but also from an on-the-field perspective. That's the direction that right. you're going to move towards. And having more like 2.75 or more wide receivers on the field regularly, there just aren't going to be snaps for him to be paid whatever he's going to need to be paid. Well, that, that's a very good point because they definitely compete for playing time directly. So you can think of Patrick Kirkard as the eighth wide receiver on your team in a sense, you know, because those guys have to share. There's one running back snap. Okay, you know you're getting that, and you pretty much know you're getting one tight end snap to start with, and then the rest, you can divide them out how you want between additional tight ends, wide receivers, and Patrick Ricard. And Patrick Ricard does do a lot of things for Greg Romans. So I don't think he's going anywhere, or, or at least if they let Ricard go I, and they keep Roman, I don't see a reason why they – um, they won't stay with a fullback-based system where they still have a fullback who gets a lot of snaps. They might have a new chance to redraw from the deck, and it's you know they they have, are scouring small school college defensive linemen to find the next Patrick Ricard, and and that by the way is not that far fetched. You know they find a really athletic guy who they know is not going to make it due to maybe a little undersized or whatever, 285 pounds, something like that. He's not going to make it a defensive line in the NFL, but he could make it a fullback because this guy's a real athlete. Yeah, I, I mean, and I guess, you know, all this is predicated on J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards coming back next year and ACL injuries really having no history of kind of dragging running backs down. I'm fine with Ricard if he's back, if both those guys are back, because I think it does make a big difference. And I was just... You know, if you just go back and watch the highlights of like even just Gus Edwards last year, like mm -hmm. it's not just and even in 2019, it's not just the blocking that was successful. The reasons why they found success, like he would find his way to success through the smallest of holes, through multiple defenders, consistently right. adding to kind of you know, your total yardage points and, and all of that. And so, um, you know, as long as they're back, I'm OK with the fullback being on the roster. But I also I, I see the point of. Like let's spread these like spread this offense out. Like like the, my other big problem is that the Ravens almost are almost exclusively inside the numbers with all eleven guys in terms of personnel, probably on half the snaps that they play. And so you're just condensing the so you have to be you have to have playmakers like Dobbins and Edwards to be successful when you squeeze everything in like that. If you have guys like Prochet and Wallace that are getting the extra snaps in that, then you can spread that out. And now you have guys that sit on the outside of that. You have threats like Dobbins who actually can read leverage. If, if I have to watch Devin DuVernay run an end around where all he does is run all the way as far to the outside as he can around the numbers yeah. and then tries to turn up the field when 
seven yards before that, he could turn up field and have a Cut 20 yard game. Yeah. I'm going to th- pull my hair out. I, I mean, that guy, that, he's super north, south. He's great. But east, west, his ability to, to run those plays is, is, is not very good. Uh, I mean, it's a personnel issue again. And, and he was a guy that I really hoped would have the um, talents because he's the one guy who had the speed to be in the backfield for some plays this year because they needed another outside threat. But the, the point you're making is very valid that, you know, if, if he doesn't know how to use that speed running a stretch play, then th- that's not really a useful thing. It's, it's, you know, it may stretch the defense some, but uh, if he can't turn that ball off field when he needs to, if he can't make the cutback at the appropriate time, it's, it's of little use. I, I'm sorry. We got to keep this moving here a little bit, and we're going to run over. I know, but um, set and ship blockers. They ten set blockers and seventeen ship blockers. Unusual um, relationship, but it's also a lot for one game. For only thirty-four pass plays with Huntley, uh, they did have a cook pass as well. I'm not including in that. Point uh, seventy-nine per play. I was obviously a concession to Watt, Highsmith, and and the Ravens tackles, as you mentioned, having significant problems sharp on the outside was terrible in this game we'll get to that in a little bit what McCary was okay uh Villanueva was just just bad not terrible in this game so um you know they they, they had to use set and chip blockers a lot they seem to be using a set and chip block chi, uh, sorry a chip blocking scheme where they let the tight end get out in front of the play make a chip block in space release him then have the tackle have the time he needs to set up and pick him up three yards back which it might be something that football books would tell you to do, but I would think you, you want to have those guys making contact at the same time. The ideal time to get a chip block in is to the rib cage of that player as they're already engaged with alignment. But it just in, in terms of how pass blocking works and, and you know the Steelers' willingness to to get engaged and, and accept that chip block, which also has to be there. You know, TJ Watt has to be trying to make a play quickly. And if he doesn't bite on that, and if he's, if he's kind of being careful and staying back, then, you know, you take your chip where you can get it, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would have, I would have chipped more. <laughs> and I would have chipped more in the Rams game too. You know, I, it, it's yeah. just with the tackles that this team has got, you know, it, it was going to be a struggle. And even if you're making, even if you're making that concession in terms of whatever your play design is, or being obvious about that, like those, I mean, you're at Patrick McCarry has just faced the equivalent of Aaron Donald, Von Miller and TJ Watt all wrapped up into like a two week span. And like, yeah, that's hard. That is really, really difficult to do. Um, And so he gets props for the the difficulty level of like what he faced. But I think that like, you know, on the, the sack at the end of the Rams game, like when you have Aaron Donald and Von Miller on the same side of the field, you need a six blocker there to help. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's a it's a reasonable thing i will say that when they had andrews on the on the on the strong side and andrews is there and he's in line on some of these plays and he's sometimes he's in line standing other times he's in line in actual three-point stance most of the time for him in line in in a crouch so he's he's got his feet even not his feet you know front and back kind of thing um when when he's in that position and he makes a chip block, it really restricts what he can do route-wise. And and what you can either two plays from this game that you can go back, and I don't have a timestamp on them, where you can see he made the catch after chipping. And I'll try and find those for you if I can, uh, Jordan. But it just I mean, his ability to get downfield is almost nothing. He, he could get five yards from the line of scrimmage on about a 2.8 second pocket. If you find and, the timestamps, I'll pull the video and I'll I tweet will. it out and I, and and we we'll let people watch it. 
and, yeah, and, and look, I don't want it to be quite frankly, I don't want that to be Mark Andrews, right? Like, like that, that right. should be Pat Ricard. It should be, you know, Josh Oliver. It should be Aaron Tomlinson. Tomlinson, you know? Yeah. 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 There you go. Uh, let's see. What do we want to do? Um, they pulled 13 times. They made 10 blocks in level two. Those are not really super numbers. Uh, they're, they're kind of indicative of an ability to stick to the run game, but they really played a, you know, a power gap scheme. And weather is part of this, but also, let's face it, Latavius Murray is not going to get to the outside and do you any favors. And he was the only back in there in the second half. I don't know what was wrong with Freeman, whether he was hurt, whether that came up during any post-game interviews or whatever. But uh, uh, you know, Latavius Murray was the only guy they were going with. They did have two snaps of Tyson Williams in this game with one carry uh, that came in the third quarter but uh basically they said you're, you're done for the season son <laughs> all right nothing to say to that I, <laughs> let's move on to hunt <laughs> nothing to say. <laughs> Now, 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 Huntley, uh, 14 ample time and space opportunities among 34 pass plays. Now, first of all, that's a terrific number, and it would have been unexpected against what the Steelers did against the Ravens here. So they had 41% ample time and space. Now, unfortunately, what really happened to generate that is a very barbell approach. They had only eight ball-out quicks, and they had 12 pressure events. Now, it's not like giving up 35% pressure to the Pittsburgh Steelers is that bad. I think this that was actually a pretty good number. But it's very frustrating that the Ravens weren't able to get anything done with their ample time and space opportunities from Huntley. So it, this should have been a big game, but but two of his inter, both of his interceptions came on ample time and space opportunities. Yeah, well, the, the second – I mean, the first one I didn't think was – as terrible like I, I could kind of you could kind of see there was space and where that one was going the second one was just really it, it was it was just really just bad. bad i mean that it was almost and quadruple coverage on andrews and he still throws it in there yeah i mean you're you're what you often hear from a quarterback and what joe flacco used to say in the past was i didn't even see that guy and it's usually the the um uh the, the quarterback is watching the receiver and trying to make sure that the ball gets past the defender in trail coverage. And the guy who almost always makes the play is the guy closing the window from the other side. And, and that is what happened actually in this case was a guy, you know, moving laterally, uh, uh, closed the window and, and, and took the football away. Um, it wasn't a particularly athletic interception. It was just a, he, he got into the lane as you would expect him to get in the lane and, and made the catch. Yeah. And, and Huntley, Huntley has had a couple of nice runs, but but his his ball the last few weeks has not been nearly as accurate as I think that he would want it to be, and his decision making has not been ideal either. So that the, you get that yeah. double doozy in the com- combination of like even when he's making the right decision, like the throw to Hollywood, it's got to be more into his chest where they where he was and and into the numbers instead of it's already crashed down. You you put the ball up here and it's going to be. I mean, Hollywood should make that catch, but it's a much much more difficult catch where the throw is easily able to be made where he's waiting for it right here, uh, right here in his stomach and, and the ball's not there. Yeah. And you're talking about ball location. I'm going to hit on another angle here and I'm going to say he needs to have his pocket awareness schemed for him, which is what, something I really don't like. Lamar very natural, keeps his eyes downfield when he gets bumped, all, all the things you really love and knows where defenders are chasing him down. Doesn't get caught by surprise from behind very often. Uh, it's, it's rare when it occurs. Huntley, he doesn't know how to how to take advantage of an extended pocket and create an extended play from it. Uh, he doesn't know how to you know have a have a have a receiver break open. That's it, I, I'm not saying it's not happened at all because Mark Andrews made the big call on the pass interference down the right sideline. 
that was a that was that sort of a place. It's it's like it's occasionally happens, but it's just so rare relative to how frequently it happens with Lamar and his ability to stay focused on the field and and, and look down. So. Look, I'm okay with Tyler Huntley being the Ravens' backup quarterback. I think it's a, it's an economical decision. He's a guy who can, if the defense is good, he might be able to get you to win one of two ball games while Lamar is out. If you lose if you lose Lamar for, Lamar for six or seven or eight ball games, this team is dead. Yeah, well, he's he is a he's a quarterback that other teams can scheme up pretty tightly against, and that he will kind of fall into the traps of of what uh, offensive or defensive coordinator is trying to do to him. And that's okay for a backup. And that's okay for, quite frankly, there are probably 10, 12, maybe more quarterbacks that start in the NFL that already fall into that category. So to say that, yeah. that one can't be a starter and have those issues is, is, is not the case. But, you know, without a running game, without a better offensive line, Tyler Huntley is, you know, wasn't going to get it done for us. What's the, what's the draft pick you would need to trade Huntley? to one of those teams that's desperate for either a, a starter or a backup right now. So if somebody came to the Ravens and said, Hey, we'll give you, and give me at the pick number, because I think we, that might really matter for the kind of picks we're talking about here. I probably wouldn't anything from the end of the second round or earlier. I probably wouldn't even trade an early third. I wouldn't take an early third for Huntley. I think he brings, okay. I think those two wins could be hugely valuable as we've already, yeah. you know, we've kind of seen this year. You know, like I said, and, and his ability to come like Lamar is the quarterbacks get banged up during games, not just Lamar. All quarterbacks get banged up during games sure. and Huntley can come in like if he's not been schemed up against to begin with. I think he could. Then we've seen that he can come in and be successful enough in those moments to sustain through the end of the game as well. Um, and so. OK, if they find another guy in the draft um, who's a late round pick. He's not going to certainly not going to be any cheaper than. Uh, sorry, he's not really any cheaper than Huntley. He'll be entering year three, but it, but you could transition from a three to a one in terms of of play and extend your your window of time you have with the quarterback. The other question I have is Josh Johnson's thirty five, but Josh Johnson wasn't that bad. Could he come in and do what Huntley did on a on a similar basis? And I think you know the question really should shift from uh, is Huntley greater than Lamar, which is frankly ridiculous, to <laughs> is Huntley greater than Johnson. And I think you, then then you ask that question, and I think a lot of other teams would do the same. And the, the number would be nowhere near a second round pick, but I would certainly take I would I would definitely take anything sixty four or higher uh, if if offered that for Huntley. Yeah, for sure. I, I you know, and I would probably, frankly, I probably would think strongly about taking a third. I think for a fourth, then it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, um, and, you know, at that point, there you can get that value kind of elsewhere. All right. Well, let's uh, uh, let's look at the offensive line here. Uh, we've taken enough time on Huntley. I don't want to beat on the guy either. Uh, we'll talk about Villanueva first. He allowed two sacks. Uh, a lot of people don't know how that second sack occurred, but but you can see on the all twenty two from behind very clearly that uh, Villanueva stuck his foot directly as Huntley was moving and tripped him up, and he fell into Zeitler. And you know, a lot of this blame seems to be going on on Huntley. Let's it's. Maybe some of, of, you know, awareness of where your feet are. But, but to me, it's pretty much 100% Villanueva in that case. And he gives a lot of ground, mirroring. We've talked about that a lot. And this was one of these cases where he got in the cone at the last second at a very inopportune time. And that's when you get tripped is when that, when that foot goes into that spot at the last possible second, not when it's there and you know that you have to avoid it somehow. He seems like a really, really great human, great teammate, and great guy. <laughs> But I will be very glad when he is no longer a Raven. 
I, yeah, I think you're going to get your wish this offseason because I don't see them paying six million for him. In I don't even want him. I don't even want him back for the veteran minimum as a swing tackle. <laughs> you don't want that? No, I. I'd rather. I mean, I mean, I guess it depends on whether Juwan James is ends up being the right tackle. I'd rather him at two point seven five be you know our swing tackle guy. And quite frankly, I'd give Tyree Phillips a crack before I give Villanueva a crack. Even though poor Tyree Phillips just needs a chance to play left guard <laughs> and, yes. and nothing else. I, I think he could he's, be very he good needs at that left chance guard. And he's yeah. not going to get it because yeah. now the next man on our list has, has earned that job. We're going we're to talk a little bit more about Villanueva. One, one penetration, one pressure, half a quarterback hit. He really did okay with Highsmith in this game. The two guys who got him for the sacks were, I have to look this up, but uh, number 92 got him one time. Okay, you know what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> he allowed two sacks. That's bad enough. But uh, he got the pocket flush the first time, I believe, on, on when 92 bowled him. Uh, and that was uh, nobody, nobody who's all that great. We'll, 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 uh, um, you can look it up. While yeah, we're, I'll, uh, I'll look it up. Continue. Isaiah Loudermilk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isaiah Loudermilk. Okay. Uh, ben Cleveland. Uh, outstanding game versus a top opponent. Uh, this is a big rebound from last week. He's actually his rebound started in the second half of last week. I looked at his sheet from there. All his troubles came in the first half. Second half, he missed a couple blocks, but he's very clean in terms of getting ones for most of the plays. Uh, it, it was uh, a, a powerful game, a great pulling game. He had terrific highlights, six highlights in this game. Uh, you know, I give those out when, when combination blocks or there's a real special pickup on a stunner, whatever that you might you might not make. Um he had six in this game, and I could have given him eight because he had two devastating help blocks where he pancaked somebody who was giving Villanueva some bull rush. It was both times it was Highsmith. Just knocked him to the ground. I love seeing that from him. That's one of the things that really attracted Tim to me as a prospect when he was coming out of school was that he'd done that at Georgia a fair number of times and, and helped out the right tackle there. Um, but six out of six on pulls in this game. Uh, the six highlight box, by the, way, by the way, most of any Ravens offensive lineman the entire year. Zeitler had five in this game also. But terrific game from Cleveland. Um, only had one pressure event. That was the only negative charge. And that was one of these invade the cone ones. It's, it's a soft pressure event that a, a group like PFF might not have charged him. I didn't actually look, but, but they might not have charged him for. Uh, you watch him play in this game in the second half. The, the drive where the Ravens had I started off with a 22 and a 27-yard run in some order. So it was both of them were Murray. They gained 49 yards, and it ended up with the interception on about the sixth or seventh play of the drive at the first play of the fourth quarter. That drive, after the second run, he turns around, he's going towards a huddle. You can see how much he's enjoying football at that exact moment. It, the smile on his face is, is so broad. He is killing his opponent play after play, and he knows it. And if you can, if you can look at that, look up the, the, the second big run that's in the, at the last drive of the third quarter, that's a crossover drive. Take a look at that on your broadcast video if you still have it on your DVR and, and, and just look at, at how he's feeling and, and you get a sense of what it's like when an offensive line and the Hogs used to talk about this and other teams, when they're just dominating the line of scrimmage all day long, you get back to the huddle and you're, you, you just you can't be making jokes or smiling enough or have something to say about your opponent every single play uh, as you go there and, and, and get another shot at him. Yeah, I, I mean, it would be it would be really great if he could lock down that left guard position next year for so many different reasons for this team, um, and obviously continuity in the offensive line. And you know, you also it, it, 
you also, for all of the challenges that we've seen from Villanueva going from, you know, the left side to the right side early in the season, Ben, ben Cleveland's a guy that went from the right side, being a right guard in yeah. college to being a left guard this year. So if there's progress to be made and he can, and he can make that jump and be the left guard, and the Ravens do find a way to bring Bozeman back at a reasonable deal, and Stanley comes back and is healthy, that's a nice set of four guys that you have on your offensive right. line. Then you only have to figure out what you're doing at the right tackle position. I feel a lot better about that team heading into next year than, you know, how we feel right now about this team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if if you really want to look at what might happen next year, I think the likelihood is Bozeman is going to go. I think the contract to McCary telegraphs the fact that they can't afford to play Bozeman also. And I think there's a pretty good chance McCarry ends up at center for this team. I think it's it's kind of a natural spot for him. He's played it a lot, certainly. And, you know, with his physical attributes, it just makes a lot more sense than him playing right tackle. I think he could be very effective and dominant. You know, all the things that Harbaugh likes to say about him that are positive, that he always knows what his assignment are, well, he's going to know that at center, and he's going to be able to do it instead of, you know, knowing it at right tackle and having some edge rushers that just completely outclass him. So he's, he, he'll be big enough and squatty enough and strong enough that he'll be able to handle some of the bigger nose tackles in this league. He's just got to be able to snap the ball. There you go. Yeah, he does have to do that. But Bozeman wasn't perfect in this game either. Uh, other than, than the bad snap, he played pretty well here. Uh, he, he snapped the ball right into his butt, which I don't, I don't ever remember seeing before. I probably have, but, but I don't ever remember it. It must, yeah, it must have. I mean, it just must have been really wet. That, that's what I mean. That's what it looks like when you watch the replay of it, too. So, yeah. So uh, uh, half a pressure allowed was all he gave up. So uh, he benefited again. I got to mention this every time it happens. When the other team's rushing four all the time, the center has a really easy job because he's if he's involved in a block at all, it's going to be a double team. Uh, he might have some stun handoff or something going off. I don't want to minimize that, but but it, it, he, he sometimes he's in a position where he's just patrolling the middle and they're kind of splitting the, the the two guys to the outside shoulder of the guard. And, you know, they're not usually going two and two. They're usually one and three, but the, he may pass off his player to a guard and then be looking for looking for work more than he's really holding that block uh, on the on the uh, one tech opposite him. So it's just I think he benefited from that. Only half a pressure allowed anyway. Uh, he lost his entire adjustment for me with his bad snaps. So a lot of the other players on the line got big adjustments in this game for the high quality of opponents. So he didn't get anything. But if he had, if I called it a sack, he would have he would have scored in the low end of the B range or the high end of the C range, and he got a B plus. Uh, with only that dribbled snap being uh, being holding it back in this game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think you're right that it's likely that he's gone. But, um, you know, Ravens have a couple decisions to make in a free agency, and I think yeah. he's a big one. They'll give him a support offer, which I think they'll try. They try and do for all their players anyway. So you know they'll give him something and say, "Hey, we'll pay you eight million a year for four years with you know fifteen million guaranteed or something," and that will force other teams to outbid that. But they'll easily outbid it. I mean, there's there's going to be uh, centers a team. A lot of teams can't seem to get straightened out. And Bradley Bozeman is a is a relatively sure bet there. Uh, we didn't think that necessarily going into this year, but he had a, a decent year snapping the football. This game aside, uh, he improved as the year went on, which I think is the most important part. He was throwing some 12 to 6 curveballs earlier on that were kind of slow getting to Lamar. But I think he fixed some of that as as it went on. And he's very big for a, for, for a center today at 325 pounds. There are very few centers that are, that are his size. So uh, anyway, I think there are a lot of teams would be interested in him. 
Kevin Zeitler, uh, half a pressure as a pass blocker in this one. Uh, he was the one who was actually guilty of the false start. McCary got got called for it, but it looked like him and Oliver both got up out of their stance and moved. But Oliver has an excuse as he, he might have been going in motion. Might have also been false starting as well. But uh, uh, Zeitler got up. Six level two blocks, uh, which was good. That led the team. But three out of five on poles, not up to his usual standard. A minus for the game for Zeitler. He's had a great season. This really put together the last of it. He's one of the better guards in the entire league. Uh, and certainly a guy who probably should have gotten pro ball consideration, but did not. Yeah, I just it, it makes me dream of a world where Zeidler, Orlando Brown, and Ronnie Stanley were all on this offensive line yeah. together, and what what kind of damage Lamar would have been able to do behind those guys? Yeah, I mean, we'd have the thing we'd have been arguing about on this would be how late that um, Cleveland got his opportunity to have that starting job, and again, it, it, it Cleveland's opportunity they did play him some rotationally earlier in the year, then he got hurt, so you know, it did, nothing went went smoothly but they started phillips at that position and you know we we look at that at the at that mismatch now and i i just i cannot for the life of me believe that tyree phillips is a better left guard than than ben cleveland i didn't believe so i mean cleveland was one of my top guards coming out of the draft this last year but I, I have a really hard time understanding how somebody would make that judgment tyree phillips athleticism is especially if you put him at the guard position i think is particularly high but Tyree Phillips between the ears has a long way to go. And that seems to be the thing that really holds him back. And so, you know, maybe they felt like giving him a shot, he could have turned the corner um, and Cleveland was still a rookie and they had to give him the chance. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's, it, it seemed a lot like Orlando Brown and James Hurst to me. That's what it seemed like. And, and uh, you know, they, you know, because the injury happened so early to Phillips, it not only screwed them in their, in their potential for tackle depth, it also, you know, made it so Bozeman is your uh, – is, sorry, not Bozeman. You know what I mean? Uh, Phil, uh, ben Powers. Powers is, is your second choice. At, at left guard and then he came in and, and, and played well i mean there's nothing wrong with the way ben powers played it's just that he doesn't have this upside that ben cleveland does and so you you're you're, you're kind of wasting your time figuring out what you've got hopefully next year cleveland goes in as the, as the obvious starter into camp powers will be a fourth year player and he won't he won't be on the bubble for this team. This team will be excited about paying powers, whatever little over the league minimum he makes uh, because they need, you know, backup offensive linemen, but he is potentially a tradable player. Uh, you know, I got asked about some fourth year players and powers would be one that I would think a lot of teams at the end of camp, if the Ravens depth holds up and they have nine guys they like uh, for, for their, for their roster, I think, I think it's very possible powers would get traded at the end, at the end of camp. Yeah. That would be interesting. I mean, I would love for the Ravens. I would love for the Ravens to be in a position where that's what they had to figure out going into mm-hmm. going into the start of the season is that they had you know drafted some guys, everybody developed well, everybody stayed healthy. Ronnie Stanley was on track to start the year. That would just that would just fill my uh, that would fill my soul, Ken. <laughs> yeah. No, mine too. Mine too. Uh, we mentioned McCarry a little bit. Battled against T.J. Watt. One penetration, two pressures, a quarterback hit, a C. He got the max adjustment for Watt, and he earned it in this game. And just a lot of what I feel and what I remember about the 2021 Ravens is going to be McCarry 
almost crawling off the field at the end of this game and the effort he put in in terms of of doing it. You know, he's 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 definitely not the most talented player the Ravens have, but he is one of the highest effort players. And it's one of the reasons why I want him to stay around. It's not necessarily his versatility even as much as it's just, you know, he's a Raven for life in terms of effort. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he is the perfect kind of personification of what the Ravens kind of want to see. And I, I will I, I think I think getting him back to the interior of this offensive line will be a big step next year. Um, if that's yeah. the plan for him, you know, wherever the Ravens decide or however they decide to do that and getting a real tackle out there and, and maximizing his value. But totally full credit deserved for, for this year and, and what he did at tackle. Right. All right, we, we were doing it for Marshall Yanda at one time. You know, Marshall Yanda had a great year in 2010 over a tackle, and, and it still meant the, the correct place for him was inside a guard. And, and he had not even really established himself permanently as the Ravens' you know, all-time guard at that point. But then he came back to play guard, and, and he was Marshall Yanda. So hopefully there's a, there's a chance for McCary to you know, etch his name into the uh, uh, Ravens' history with some great play at center going forward. Mm, that's that's some high expectations you're setting there, Ken. <laughs> right, well, he's here for three years. He's going to have time. You know, it's, it's, it, most players who you know you, you don't sign to a second contract. So your second contract player is a relatively small number. So we, as soon as Ronnie Stanley got signed to a second contract, my feeling was he's he's about an eighty to eighty five percent chance to be in the Ravens Ring of Honor. You know, you you he'd really have to trip pretty badly. Unfortunately, this injury is just the kind of thing that can make that happen. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, your, your second contract players is a relatively small group. It's, a, it's already a select group of players. All right, let's, let's continue on. Sharp played 10 snaps in this game, and they were not pretty. Um, uh, he had a couple of plays where he didn't even touch T.J. Watt. And his style of getting his hands up to play patty cake as opposed to punching is something that we talked about last week on the show. Uh, frustrating, obviously, to watch, but he gave up a sack, a, quarter, a half a quarterback hit, and one pressure in 10 plays. He also managed to miss two blocks. So he got minus 4.5 points on 10 plays. That's a minus 0.45, not 0.045, but minus 0.45 per play, which is the worst individual score I can ever remember even for a short game and, and 10 plays, obviously he doesn't have 20 snaps as a minimum for a grade, but if he'd been perfect on his remaining snaps, he would have gotten up to 5.5 out of 20, which would be still only a 0.28 for the game. So I could have said, Hey, that's an F because he would have still had an F, you know, after 20 snaps, even, even with perfection in his remainder, but I won't do that to him. I'll just talk about it on the show for you know a few seconds. <laughs> Disappointing after that, after that good first game from Sharp. Yeah, you know, one that's you know you got to watch out for these small sample sizes, right, Ken? There you go. Uh, and, there you and, go. and be careful to make sure that you're not over evaluating on that. And it's, I mean, especially uh, T.J. Watt is going to make some people look really. He's going to make a backup tackle that shouldn't be on an NFL field look really bad, probably from time to time. So I, I give him a little bit of a pass in that regard, but it is what it is at this point. Fair enough. Is is he a guy you have in camp next year as part of the 11 through 15 offensive lineman? I guess it depends. I, I mean, he should be in camp, I think, either way, but it really just depends on what the Ravens do with the draft. You know, there there are a lot of – there seems to be good tackle depth in the draft, and so if the Ravens do – I would have zero problem if the Ravens end up drafting two tackles just because, just, just in case. We, we don't know what's happening with Ronnie sure. Stanley. Thought he could have come back this year. So, like, you need better insurance than than a guy like Villanueva, you know, a guy like – 
I, I, they didn't really have there weren't, weren't a whole lot of options kind of once they got past that anyway to begin with and so um they gotta they gotta be better about that from the start from the jump and i'll be surprised right. if they don't draft well they're definitely gonna draft one tackle i will not be surprised at all when they draft two right i i wouldn't be either and if it's if it's one near starter and one developmental i'm fine with that that's that Me makes too. a lot of sense in terms of, of how they do and you know those six round tackles often end up being six round guards anyway so i, I want it to be a guy who has the physical tools to play left tackle in their developmental guy okay they can if they want to make their number one guy be a be a guy who is more likely right than left but can also play left that's okay um play left worse that's okay um, but if, if their, their developmental guy better be a guy who can play left tackle. All right, let's talk skill position players. Uh, you and I can go back and forth on this and I guess we'll, we'll keep it kind of short this week based on what we're doing, but who would you like to talk about? Yeah. I mean, we talked about a bunch of these guys kind of already in, in terms of Brown and Murray. So I, you know, Rashad Bateman looked, uh, looked fantastic on the first drive. It looked like the Ravens were going to run the offense through Bateman and they were going to build out around that. And they were going to make Pittsburgh take that away and they were going to turn something into it. And then it disappeared. Um, And it wasn't that he wasn't on the field (laughs) and it wasn't that he wasn't running routes. It's just that, that either Huntley wasn't looking there. It wasn't the first read. It wasn't, you know, it's impossible to say because we aren't in the room and hate to keep going back to Greg Roman about this, but it's just every, every so often, like these things continue to add up there. there There's always these spots where you can point to it. And it's just like, you had a guy in the first drive that had what three catches looked mm-hmm. fantastic the the deep catch over the middle was great i mean his hands everything are, like this is one of those games where you feed rashad bateman the ball to see what you actually have in him anyway sure. right like let him get like get him one-on-ones make him the primary read let H- cut huntley loose to throw it to him any of that kind of stuff i would have been fine with um and, and we didn't see it yeah so his he, did he get all three of those targets on the first drive he's two of two of three for 30 22 32 something like that you know what? i think it was so, only two on the first drive and then i don't know where the third one was that pass bateman pass bateman yeah we'll have to look for it um I, I, well i agree i mean the, the, he's one of the players who's been really hosed out of the offense based on who huntley is and what the offense had to become but it comes back to having to scheme pocket awareness for huntley they can't let him just walk around the pocket because he doesn't really have the awareness and he takes a lot of sacks from behind and those can lead to turnovers and have so far this year. So it's, they've got to really scheme the ball out quickly. And that takes Bateman out in your set of reads that seems to go these last few weeks as Andrews to short to long. OK, that's your 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 first read is Andrews. Your second read is is some short guy. And then your, your third guy is maybe a long guy if none of those are open or maybe a run. And with Lamar. I mean, my interpretation was the reads went the completely the opposite way. It was long oh, yeah. to Andrews to short or, and yeah. even sometimes run and not short at all. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he can extend plays. There's creativity at the end. His eyes are downfield. I mean, there's just a lot of things happening there that are obviously going to be better with Lamar Jackson and not that he was mistake proof this year or anything. He made a lot of mistakes, but uh, he, he gives you extended plays. And by and large, those are great gambles for the Baltimore Ravens when he does. All right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, we talked about Murray. We beat on him enough. Andrews had 16 (laughs) targets for 85 yards, 5.3 yards per target. Everybody else on the team was like 3.8. So that wasn't very exciting. I, I, I'm upset that Tyson Williams got only two snaps in this game. And we were playing a little over under game with Gabe on the show last week. 
And I think Gabe was might have been three and a half and four and a half were our two numbers, but he didn't. He expected him to get a substantial portion of the week workload, or at least said it in words. And then I asked him for an over under on it to, to, you know, which way would you let me bet a hundred dollars at eleven to make ten kind of thing, and and then he he comes out of four and a half, and then I think he reduced it to four. So and then it under. <laughs> so uh, I didn't I didn't take him on any action for it, but it, but it was the kind of thing I really did expect that Tyson Williams would get some carries in this game, and the, and the situation was perfect in terms of perfect for him in terms of Freeman getting hurt and being out of the game. And, you know, Murray was effective in terms of his yardage and any measure you really want in that second half, but it was really the Ravens offensive line opening up big holes. And, uh, you know, some, by the way, Minka Fitzpatrick is a great player, but he, he had some over pursuit issues in this game, which uh, led to some of these, these longer runs. So uh, the Ravens did some, the Steelers did some, the Ravens some favors in this. The other guy who doesn't look like he's playing at nearly the same level is Devin Bush right now. Yeah. Uh, he's he is he's getting lost in the wash a lot. Uh, just does not seem to be playing with the same kind of uh, speed and um, uh, drive to the football that that you would expect. Now the ability to get off blocks. Yeah, I I can't explain. I, I said it earlier. I don't know what Tyson Williams did. He needs to figure. Like, uh, hopefully, the Ravens are really. I, 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 so, as somebody that manages other people in the real world, yes. When when you are managing someone that isn't performing up to what you want them to do to be successful, you set very clear benchmarks of what they have to accomplish, and if they do those, then you give them opportunities, right? Because if you don't, mm-hmm. then you have a disgruntled employee on your hands, right? And so, I maybe the case is that. They said to Tyson, or somewhere around week six to eight, you have to do these things. He put in all the work and he did it all, and they didn't give him any opportunities. And then he pouted, and that's why now he's out of the rotation and doesn't get any opportunities. But if that's what you were going to do, then call up Nate McCrary off the practice squad and give him the snaps. Sure, absolutely. Right, like I, I, you have two really young, really athletic guys, and you're trading that for. Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman. I, it's just, I, I don't understand it. Yeah, I, 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 first of all, I like your management style comments. And, you know, in, in managing actuaries who are notoriously underperformers in terms of, of what they're capable of, most, most actuaries are capable <laughs> of enormous underperformance. As a, a profession has a high flunk out rate to start with. But, uh, I mean, they're smart people. They've usually always coasted through life in terms of always being the smartest kid in the math class, never had a problem uh, with school. Not everybody's that way, but, but most people are. And, and they, uh, you know, then they get into this profession, and it's actually competitive, and they have to compete against people who are really driven to pass exams. You know, they think, well, anyway, I, 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 think, I, I don't think it was ever easy for me to coach exam performance. It's just that's too, too difficult to get people over that hump. But in terms of what the other things you're talking about is saying, hey, I want you to do these things and then we will, you know, you'll present this thing at the meeting. I think you always have to provide that opportunity. Any field, any any type of people, but certainly with talented people. And Tyson Williams, the one good thing I take away from this year is that he's he's obviously someone the Ravens trust from a talent perspective because they wouldn't have screwed around and have him on the roster instead of McCrary on the final fucking week of the season if they didn't really think they were going to have him in 2022. There, there's not a reason on earth I can come up with. So he's obviously coming to camp with a chance to play for a job next year. 
Yeah, I, I, I sure hope so. <laughs> I sure hope yeah. so. Right. Like, in, and you know, you don't know what you, you know, and maybe there, maybe it's just like risk aversion and the Ravens, if Dobbins and Edwards are healthy, Tyson's going to get cut really quickly and they're just going to be done with him and you know, right. whatever happens happens. But, um, yeah, I, it just, it, it's so peculiar to me because the Ravens have been so good about finding young running backs that weren't scrap heap veterans and then this year, they completely went about face when they needed to go find right. a guy. And instead of signing these practice squad guys that they know all about and they know fit their style and they know they could use in a way that is successful, they don't do that at all. And so it's, it was just it, – it, it never it, – and Nate McCrary and Tyson Williams were the perfect two guys to be the next Alex Collins, right? Like to be, you know, quite frankly, the next Gus Edwards, right? Like the guys that they find that are super sure. talented that other people were undervaluing. And here we are with Latavius Murray with, you know, his saunter touchdown and Devontae Freeman who can shake a guy but can't get six yards down the field. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's, it's been a very strange season. I mean, I do blame COVID for most of that, the, the, uh, the, the light draft uh, uh, talent pool from last year really impacted the Ravens' standard strategy for going out and finding exactly the type of players you're talking about undrafted free agent running backs that nobody else seemed to want or that other teams undervalued or that other teams became fed up with. I mean, I think Collins was really a, a team. Seattle got fed up with him before the Ravens got him, right? Seattle? I think Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, he came from Seattle. Yeah. And then he went back to Seattle. And then he went back to Seattle. Yeah, so that, that was the part that was confusing me. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but but they've, you know, they've, they've done very well exactly finding that talent. And next year, there'll be a great opportunity to do that. But next year, hopefully, they won't need running backs. So, you know, they'll have... <laughs> You know, the talent they have, but they should, the, the Ravens will be in a much easier position to fill out both a fullback if they need one and a running back uh, if they need a fourth or a fifth um, for, for next year without having to mess around. And I think some of that pretty much means that Justice Hill is not going to be on this team. Yeah, he's another guy that never, I, I, I never thought, Justice Hill has the same problem I think Devin DuVernay has, which that he has tremendous athleticism and speed and, and he like Freeman can shake a guy in the backfield, but his ability to see the larger vision of running the ball just isn't there if, if it doesn't set up perfectly for him. Um, so I was never a huge fan of his, but he, he never got, he, he also quite frankly, never got a chance. He, you know, obviously this year would have been his year to get a chance before he got hurt. But even before that, even in pretty limited opportunities, the Ravens just, you know, they decided they were never going to give him a crack. Yeah. I uh, I agree and um, I, he, yeah it's 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 a shame I mean because he did some things well I uh, did some things well particularly on special teams to really help the help the team one of the great drills if you get a chance to see it I, you know, unfortunately I know you're out in L A but other people listening to the show who who get a chance to maybe go to camp occasionally try and go the day that they're doing the inside linebacker versus running back blocking drills. That is one of the most competitive the whole season. They don't make a big deal out of it in terms of where they put it on the field. So they don't put it right next to the media. They'll put it somewhere in the middle of the field. But the reason you know it's a big deal is they have a line shake, like a hockey playoff series ending line handshake. Because uh, that means they're really going hard during that drill. And they're making each other angry in terms of, of, of trying to have these running backs pass block against linebackers and and it's uh it's it's a good it's a it's a good drill to see if you can catch it jordan we're gonna have to cut it off here tonight i really wanted to do some mailbag but we have no mvps to to talk tonight it is just an utter pleasure to talk football with you which is why we always run over uh all the 
folks that came on the show this year, by the way, not just Jordan, who's been great and been on what now about four or five times this year. I think, yeah, three or four times. Yeah. Okay. But really, obviously really appreciated having you on, but everybody who's on the show. Thank you so much this year for coming on. And, and, uh, uh, we had almost no one on the show that wasn't just a complete pleasure to talk football with for North of an hour. And I hope the listeners out there don't mind that these, these shows went a little long. Jordan, let's talk about where your work is and how people can, can access you and, uh, and talk football with you. Yeah, absolutely. I've got my uh, the podcast with uh, Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at Raven Sit Room. You guys can find us on Twitter, and our um, our podcast is hosted at FilmStudyBaltimore.com. So you guys can check us out there. We'd love to to grab a listen, and hopefully we'll have some some more exciting games and some more talent on the field to to be breaking down some of those plays when we get into 2022. All right, sounds great, uh, Jordan. I appreciate all the discussions this year. Also appreciate meeting you in person before that Las Vegas game. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, appreciate it. Other folks out there, if you want to do a film study short this offseason, love to do it with you. If you want to do a 25 years episode, I'll still record it. I'll, I'll, it's not too late if you want to, if you really want to do one, even though we now have 26 years, unfortunately, in the books for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and uh, if there are other analysts out there or anybody who wants to do a series of episodes on a particular topic, and this would often be the case if the topic you choose is too broad. Like if you want to talk about really how I hate Greg Roman's scheme, that's okay. But first of all, I want you to do a little bit of research. And second of all, I, I want to break it down into component parts, and, and we'll split that over about two or three episodes uh, to, to give it its proper airing because we're, we're going to have some things to talk about if, if that's the case. But we'd love to hear from you. and love to have, have uh, some multiple episode opportunities here. Uh, Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. Always appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.